0: We're supposed to start talking. (laughs) Yeah, like
1: that. All right. Welcome to the Race FF Podcast. And today, um, I was actually struggling for some content, uh, much like 91 Octane was uh, the previous episode that they uploaded. So um, I did the mature thing, which was I researched a topic, I got more information on it, and, you know, I figured, all right, I have this information ready to go. We can go ahead and do that. But I just went the lazy way and called my buddy Eli, so we'll just uh, shoot this uh, shoot this shit for a little bit, and hope you guys enjoy it. And with me today is Eli Villa from E Villa Motorsports. Hi, Eli. Hello. Hi, man. Thank you for having <laughs> me on your show. <laughs> so I, I I pranked Eli like 20 minutes before I I called him while I was on. Uh, I was driving to or driving back from O'Reilly's, um, and pranked him saying, "All right, Eli, welcome to the show. Welcome to the race." I I was so planning on doing that, just like calling him at random, but I didn't know, like what you were doing. So I I, I felt a little guilty. Just a tidbit.
0: You know, just contributing to world peace by making high performance parts for all the good boys and girls out there. So you know, some under- people call me Santa, but I just like to call myself. <laughs>
1: Eli. Uh, yeah, so Eli specifically focuses on uh, Kia, Hyundai, and he's a master fabricator uh, making... Oh,
0: no, master, no, Nope, no, no, no. I'm not going to take
1: okay. <laughs> I mean, you do uh, I... the design, implementation, uh, production run, logistics, uh, accounting... That's master level.
0: Um, I wouldn't say it's master level, but it's kind of like GameStop. I just like the stock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Eli is an old friend of mine um, back when he lived in uh, SoCal and uh, was a great inspiration uh, to me when I first met him because, you know, I am a front-wheel-drive-aholic. I love front-wheel-drive cars mainly because we're always the butt of the joke out on the racetrack. Everybody kind of like looks down at us because Miata is always the answer. And people like Eli and me always want to go ahead and say, eh, not always. So, um, we like to rebut that. And Eli's a very accomplished driver. He's, uh, won multiple awards, um, uh, with NASA pro racing. He's, uh, done a lot of, um, uh, his own uh, stuff with uh, Pierce. Is is that correct, Pierce? Yep. Uh, Doing the Veloster Challenge, and he was always known as uh, the crazy guy that would take out cones and had the nickname of the Cone Man. So I I look up to Eli a lot um, in terms of his driving skill. Uh, Oftentimes when I'm not getting the lap that I want to, I just imagine Eli's in my passenger seat, yelling at me, telling me to the... Don't don't hit the brakes until I see Dale.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: but see him, but not meet him. There's a difference. There's a difference. Just Diff enough to high five him.
0: Like not even that close. That's already you're, you're testing stuff out at that point. You're testing pages at that point. You don't even have that yet.
1: No, I don't. Um, I, don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, we'll
0: don't get that. And then um, you know, like spoiler alert for everyone. Uh, there's going to be a special guest on on Jaime's next track.
1: And mm. then.
0: That we're getting ready for, as a matter of fact, aren't we,
1: Hind? So, yeah, um, if you heard the previous podcast, that was our TT roundup of the first round of NASA time trials, where we took the EG for its first uh, competition run. It did really well, um, and now I'm doing a couple last-minute things to get the car ready for this weekend, so... When you guys hear this, this is actually being recorded Sunday night. So I am kind of pushing up into, um, what's (laughs) what's that? Um, I am pushing up into kind of like the time frame. The car is pretty much all set. Um, I just finished installing new brake pads, Hawk DTC60s, new rotors. There was like some stiction issue with the previous uh, setup with the Hawk Blues that caused, like, bad wear um, on there. And I'm adding a AEM cold air intake, um, the dual-chambered one. So tomorrow I will have it um, dynoed uh, again, not for power, but to make it a little bit more reliable. Last event, um, the air-fuel ratios were really bad, according to the tuner. So we're going to go back now that I have the AEM uh, fuel pressure regulator installed, um, and I set the base um, fuel pressure according to factory specs. So from there on, they're going to go ahead and tune in and uh, make sure that it can run reliably and safely on a 91 octane so that um, I can not have to spend over like sixty, seventy dollars on running a hundred and hundred plus octane to keep this uh, engine alive. But that's something that you know, um, dealing with kind of like these older cars. Something that you kind of run into is we're we're pushing these cars kind of closer to the ragged edge. Me probably not as much as Eli has with his uh, Kia right. Rio. Well, you
0: know, we'll we'll jump into the Rio in a little bit, um, but. You know, you got to give credit with credit is due. So the good thing about, you know, like your EG mm-hmm. and like older generation Civics and then Honda Challenge overall. And the good thing about older vehicles is that you can modify them without breaking anything for the most part. Mm. Nowadays, the new technology with the new cars, the actual, uh, basically the forgiving level on cars is very, very, very narrow. Mm. Like any change from just an intake... Mm-hmm. We'll start messing with a car really bad, you know, to the point that it'll lean in out, and actually you'll you'll end up either prematurely prematurely losing the car, like the engine, or just wreaking havoc without like a tune. The so cars are like really sensitive nowadays, which is very surprising.
1: You're um, not wrong on that, and I actually uh, was speaking to um, Carlos Valenzuela. Uh, who um, runs Auto Fashion Civic Type R. And apparently on the 2020 Civic Type R's, they have a lot of electronic um, gizmos in there and um, programming that can make it problematic when you're trying to take it out and do a time attack uh, type of event. I remember he was uh, struggling with uh, the car going into limp mode because the oil temperature was not in the ideal range and the car would just... Go straight into limp mode now i got a chance to drive a civic type r an older generation from the 2019 2021 i'm not exactly sure which one has this uh issue but as i remember um auto fashion was uh, using one of the newer ones and yeah it's uh problematic it gave him so much problems and when i drove uh unaccepted pods uh Tony's uh, Civic Type R for when he did his NASA event. I mean, that car didn't miss a beat, but it was an older model without the newer, um, I guess, nannies or programming in there. And I never had any issue or overheating, and I took it out on both uh, Button Willow and uh, Auto Club, which are kind of famous for pushing uh, cooling systems uh, to kind of the max. Wouldn't so you agree?
0: That's, uh, I, I completely agree. Uh, but you got to understand where the manufacturer is coming. And I'm seeking them. their defense no, on this absolutely. one. I'm, play, I'm playing the devil's advocate. A- apple, on this.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, they're they're trying to make a car that's going to perform under 99% of the scenarios given to it. And we're trying to get it to perform on that 1% of the scenarios. Exactly. Where, where it's like, and, yeah, this isn't a full but, race car from the factory. That's. That's where you buy the TCR. They're trying one. to
0: maintain their warranties what they're exactly. trying to do. Exactly. Um, you can't blame them on that. There's no, also issues no. going on with the lobster end, believe it or not.
1: And and um, here's an interesting thing cuz like I I like front wheel drive cars, but I also like tra- uh, cars that drive well and I did get a chance to drive a student's car in uh, Honda's uh or Honda NASA's HPDE program, and the Veloster N performance because there's a trim level difference. Eli will attest to that. Um,
0: the PP and then on pp
1: That's really what it is. That's,
0: really what, it is. That's so what all, the, all the, the Veloster guys call it. It's either <laughs> PP or non-PP performance so, package. For so those that don't know,
1: the, that car is actually really impressive. I remember we were running uh, Button Willow. I think it was 25 counterclockwise, and on the back straight, it's almost like a half mile long straight, and we we're chasing this like 2019 uh, Ford Mustang GT, a V8 one, and he couldn't open up a gap on on us, and I was shocked. I was, because you know Ford is doing a really good job with their Mustangs. They're getting so much there better than go. what they do. And, yeah, and so the Veloster is. A very impressive car next to the Type R. I mean, for the price, it's really hard to beat. I don't think there's so, a, a a hatch at that price range of the Veloster that really gives it a road for its money, in my opinion.
0: So I don't I don't have I don't make parts for that car yet yet yet. Um But I did own one. Yes, um, you did. And then I'm gonna get another one. Oh. Uh, but the beauty behind the M is, so when I was at team, I talked to uh, w- one of the chief engineers uh-huh. uh, that was behind the end, And we talked a little bit about the car, because I was, you know, like everyone else, hey, you know, I want to get my car nerd on. And, you know, I want to ask all these, you know, little trivial questions, questions that most people won't ask. But uh-huh. engineers kind of will say yes, but no, kind of do that, that political yes while uh, nodding.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah, like don't but... say no, but
0: not yes. Yeah. and um. When I asked him, and uh, part part of the reason, and he admitted to this, is like part of the reason that N even came into fruition was because of what uh, me and a couple of those friends, when we did the Loster Challenge, like mm. apparently that did catch Hyundai's eyes, um, mm. as far as like stepping up the level of the vehicle, and with their and their goals at the time, and thanks to Mister uh, BMW Biermann. Uh, Beeman or whatever you want to call him.
1: oh the guy behind the end division
0: yep yeah thanks to him and compiled what we were doing um it kind of like pushed the velocity to get just a notch up uh to take it more seriously Mm -hmm. and uh he said is like our goal was to get nine tenths of the performance of a civic type r for seven tenths of the price
2: he's
0: like and i think we achieved that successfully i'm like dude you, you Are you kidding me? That's exactly what you guys accomplished. Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't props, had the pleasure, props given. Yeah, props given. I haven't had the pleasure of driving the Civic Type R. I've only, from what I understood from your feedback and everyone else's, it's an amazing ride. It's mm-hmm. smooth. Um, but you mentioned one detail last time you told me when you drove the Veloster N, and you said it was a little coarse compared to the Civic Type R. The Civic Type R was more smoother, in a sense, more refined. I think those are the words that you used. Yeah,
1: I mean, again, this is is my, and it's, again, a very biased, like we mentioned, uh, review, because I was testing the car on a racetrack. So it's like everything is hyped to the ultimate level at that point. So where something may have been uh, kind of like, compromise for com- comfort right there is going to show like a weakness i felt yeah. um and also like my student was kind of like uh an autocrosser not a knock not a knock but um he had really aggressive inputs so autocrossing you, you your inputs are going to be aggressive yep. and on yep. a road race course it it really i like being smooth there's people who like to. being yeah. way more aggressive than i am and you know to each their own but uh i i just felt like the car was really good but it it just wasn't like the type r the type r felt comfortable doing everything like going at a seven tenths pace which is like not squealing the tires but you know using the entire track um right the the civic type r felt comfortable Whereas the Veloster N, you could you could feel its, like, limitations or whatnot. But you, you could feel that you're pushing on the car, and you know where the limit is coming up. Um, but that's not a knock. I mean, it, it's a phenomenal car for what it is. And, um, you know, I, I'm really impressed with the Hyundai and how fast they were able to bring up the their game. Too bad they didn't bring the 130 N and somehow still leave. Legally... Oh, the I-30? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, piggyback, uh, piggybacking on, on what you just said, uh, as far as the limit of the car, um, it's not the limit that you felt. It's the way the car is, is designed. So, And the only reason I can I can explain this with mm-hmm. relative amount of confidence, if not fake it till you make it confident, <laughs> um, is because I own the car and I played with it. For the yeah. short time I had it. So, uh, before then, I drove uh, for a year at, uh, under Velocity Challenge when we opened our limited class, meaning you can have any basically mod to the car and you can go and race against. And the class was opened up to those guys that had, you know, built motors and were pushing four or 500 horsepower mm-hmm. or gutted and caged and everything else.
1: Uh, street class. Uh, we were in Time Attack. Like, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, <laughs> time attack's like a whole different animal at that point.
1: And this, but this
0: was just opened up to Korean KTM cars. You know, it can be an Optim, it can be uh, a Veloster, it can be a Rio, whatever, an accent. And I drove uh, for that class. I drove the Pierce Motorsports Veloster, and that was their race prep cage Veloster, uh, made for NASA under NASA spec SCCA and um, well train Car Championship, which is here in the that was working with NASA at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think they still are there in NorCal more I well. Um, yeah. I
1: think we had an event where uh, U.S. touring car challenge. U S touring car. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, where they uh, were running a run group with us. So yep. yeah.
0: And then uh, they have their own Hyundai Genesis. Uh, they have a civic with them and the team. They have a good, good follow. Great guy. Great team. I know the owner of it. Super mm-hmm. awesome guy. Um, but that was what the purpose of that car was for. And then we just threw it in, you know, for there so everyone can have a carrot to catch up to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mentor driving it, no one would have a chance. Um, me driving it, somebody may have a chance kind of deal. Yeah. Um, So they put, um, we had like Shot Street, Pro, uh, Toyo Proxes, um, not RA1s. They were like the r Eights, but before they became Eights. Oh, kind of like rain tires in a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah um and you know i ran that car and because of the dampening and the way the springs and everything i set up that car was um to me it was super fun but it was the equivalent of, a, of playing with a puppy dog like if you played with the puppy and you know you start playing a little rough with it you know it gets really motivated so it starts like biting a little bit hard and the thing about versus a puppy versus you know big full size dog when you're playing around is the full size dog his teeth are already kind of like you know like smoothed out so it doesn't hurt as bad, <laughs> but when it's a puppy it's fresh teeth you know it's fresh yeah. sharp teeth so if it bites you it does hurt, <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically what playing with that car was it was playing with a puppy with sharp teeth because it was unpredictable, but unpredictable with a reasonable amount of like leverage like you can play with it it was playful back but if you it, you will get hurt and that was the purpose of that dampening and that's everything and you basically and what uh you were telling me what you're going to experience on h4 you will experience that i can tell oh, you right sure. off the bat for based sure. on what spring rates you're going with
1: yeah
0: um so at that point you're starting to practice um you're practicing a bunch of different um basically not driving theories but practices or methods Mm-hmm. Uh, from rotating car properly to throttle steering, uh, you know, to left braking, you're using all these nuances to better rotate the vehicle. Um, driving front wheel drive is way different than rear wheel drive. Uh, principles as far as like the basics are, are you know, entwined with rear wheel drive. But as yeah. you start reaching a higher and higher level of driving, uh, you will start seeing, you will start picking up nuances that are only specific to that particular type of uh driving vehicle whether it be all-wheel drive four-wheel drive or front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive or whatever drive you want to call it.
1: yeah and um, i mean th- those things um for the average person i mean to be fair like those nuances are really you're, you're talking about like the top 20 percentile of try of drivers that are road racing and doing those things because yep the and the that's average the track Pareto Day principle
0: person? you're talking about yeah, and that's exactly
1: it. Yeah, so he don't. It. So don't feel like oh I have got ten track days under my belt, um, front wheel drive and uh, rear wheel drive I, I can't drive either or no you you're still fine you're not you're not there like what we're talking about the differences are within a second of each other in terms of how how you um, would be able to gain or not gain if uh, you applied these methodology or not. So a second okay. to a, two seconds or something like that is kind of like what you would, what you would expect to gain on there again at that limit. Phew, a second is a lot of time.
0: So with that said, um, those kind of advanced techniques uh, and that's for everyone listening to the podcast, like don't even worry about it. You'll get them as over time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but uh, don't try to jump to them immediately uh, yeah. first become really well known with the with basically what you have get really comfortable with the basics mm-hmm. um, be really comfortable at the track get all that stuff set up um, what I will tell you is uh, basically uh, 99% of all the driving and all the everything that you do the difference between winning or losing and even wheel to wheel time attack whatever you like 99% of it is mental I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with everyone else.
1: Yeah, uh, it, I mean, you're not it, wrong.
0: It's all mental. You're not um,
1: wrong.
0: I've met, I've met people that haven't been to the track, uh, but have been, I've done off-road, have done you know, riding motorcycles out in the desert, quads, all this other stuff, and they've really, very limited ever gone to the track, and they are pulling sub-minute uh, 50s at Willow Springs you know, with a beat-up, clapped-out 30 BMW. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's cage, and and that's just because of the feeling that they have. So, with that said, if you're new to the track and you're like, all right, well, I need to pick between front wheel drive or rear wheel drive. I'm like, just pick the car you have, and don't throw any mods at it, and just keep going to the track as much as you possibly can.
1: So that now, brings me this... to your, to your Kia Rio, because essentially that's what it was, right? Good pivot. So, so the Rio, of course, I pivot. Uh, I drive front-wheel drive. <laughs> no? No? Eli, are you still there?
0: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. You said oh, good pivot, right and, that. I, and, I, and I said, of course I can pivot. I, I drive front-wheel drive
0: funny guy uh you can pivot on <laughs> railroad drive but it it doesn't end well if you don't do it right <laughs> so um, yeah especially you're... if you have a if rear wheel engine porsche it does not end well
1: oh yeah those are those um, are scary so so yeah go going ahead. uh yeah pivoting
0: back on the rio uh so it's the the story behind that car is interesting because um uh, if you would listen to john at 91 octa i think there's a i think he still has the podcast where uh i came out on it Oh yeah, it's, know, it's, it's in the into, archives I gotta find it um, But if you listen to that one Like shout out to John91 I've, I've listened to their podcast, they're awesome guys too uh, Yeah, shout out
1: to John, I, I, I love that guy He was my student and Yeah, I, I, lo- I love them I I constantly lean on him for Like uh, podcast information And I know he listens yeah, yeah. to. So, yeah, love that guy
0: So yeah, shout out to him And then uh, he may be going to AAA so I might run into him Oh he is? Yeah uh, so uh, so uh, that's uh, he'll tell you the full story about the Rio because he had a Rio before and I, I literally talked about how that came to be and, and there's like so much good info that I won't spoil it. If you want to listen to it, you're welcome mm-hmm. to. But so the Rio was more or less um, an investment decision, which is pretty stupid when you think about it when you <laughs> come to cars and stuff like that. But, um, but, but the premise, of, uh, as I explained it, it sounds worse, really. But um, basically, at the time, I had a Subaru STI that with, that I had my mentor at the time, which I wasn't my mentor yet, but he, Jim, basically built a cage for it. I told him what I wanted to do. He's the one that pushed me into driving and everything else. What year
1: STI, because there, any Subi fans right here want to know what kind of eyes it had. Was it a blah so, eye, Bug-Eye, Hawkeye? It was a two thousand six
0: Hawkeye STI Ooh. with a WRX wing. Nothing so, is pretty. And the uh, yeah, it was like in a gunmetal gray, uh, beautiful car. I had both the gold and silver BBS wheels. Smaller um, and not even. Uh, but what <laughs> I did go into it, it's funny. Uh, at the time, well, I got it. I think at the time I bought it for 16, and it had like 116 or 110,000 miles or something like that. Only one rebuild, or how
1: many rebuilds?
0: It had no rebuilds, Damn. believe it or not. Still um, but the factory have
1: gaskets. A, that's uh impressive. And factory, oh, it gets lamps. better,
0: <laughs> it gets better. Um, I think I know why people mess them up. Um, which is why, partly because I, thanks to my first mentor at the time, he's the one that taught me. Because it was basically, to me, it was a Volkswagen engine. And that's really where I started from, was Volkswagen mm. old air-cooled stuff. Uh, but when I got it, the turbo was leaking, and it had a misfire
2: mm-hmm.
0: that creaked up later on. Come to find out, it all, all I needed to do was a valve adjustment. But no one would know. No one knew. I was the only one that knew that it needed a valve adjustment because of basically everything it was doing. Because if you would have seen it, you would have thought, you know, they had a bent valve or something's off or valve trains off or something like that. And so I replaced the terrible, put a factory one, never upgraded it. Um, just wanted some stock. And then I did a valve adjustment, came out perfect. Um, all I think I got a carb legal, the the super performance intake on it, um, heat shield, cob down pipe and a gritty exhaust. And That's all it had, and then I just no put like Costco two? chassis bracing.
1: No stage, so two?
0: I put I got a Cobb uh tune, I did get a Cobb tune on it, which oh. was like it was just shot at 300 horsepower. Stop,
1: it has still so much power.
0: Um, but you know, I had a great time with that car, I took it to the track. Uh, and then some other guy that had the newer generation, the hatchback of the SKI, mm-hmm. he passed me like. And, you know, me, like everyone else, you're like, oh, what the hell? He passed me. Is it, you know, is a car? Do I need to go with a bigger turbo? Like, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, but I wanted to find out. I was like, how is it that he passed me? And he told me, well, you know, I've done a couple track days and stuff like that. And then I also met uh, another mentor of mine, a coach, what uh, I mean, that just knows Button Willow like the back of his hand. Like the reason I'm even decently fast at Button Willow is mainly because of him. Um, his name is Dan English. And, uh, he, he enjoyed that car as well. But, uh, the first time I met him was at that, it was a private tractor. It was a Tim event on a Thursday. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's the one that told me, that he's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to catch up to him as well, which had like a, basically a Mazda three, not a Mazda speed, a Mazda three bone stock. And all he had were RA ones. And here I was with a built sti well, not a built STI, but like basically well set up STI. And I was struggling to keep up with them for the life of me. And I was like barely keeping up. And I looked at him and I said, you're a hard guy to catch up to. And he looked at me, I'm surprised he even caught up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so with that said, you know, fast forward, I talked to, to my mentor, Jim. And I'm like, dude, how do I get fast? I want to get fast as, like, what is the most uh, fastest way to get, become a faster, better driver? Because that's what I want. That's what I want to do. I, it's, like, it's written on the stars. I like, that was, like, you know, my divine moment right there, sign of the gods, you know, the skies parted, the angels will sing, and the gods before me said, Eli, you must become uh, a race driver. <laughs> no delusions right? of grandeur so here at all. No delusions. Like, I never said a pro driver. <laughs> said and 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 i will say this now more than any time because everyone's asked and i've uh, anyone that's asked me i've literally told them my goal is not to become a pro driver my goal is to become have pro driver skills like i just want to have the skills i have no interest in becoming a pro driver now if it lands in that direction then
1: i'm not going to complain right (laughs) you're uh, i guess since i'm here yeah it's like yeah sure why not
0: but if i have the skill that's all i care about Mm -hmm. and you know. To me, that's just it. I just want to be as best as possible because I enjoy driving more than anything else. To me, it drives yeah. everything. Yeah, that's, that's the why same I with um, me.
1: I, I I like driving more than I like wrenching on the car. I just happen to wrench on it because yeah. I bought an old car with three hundred thousand miles on it. <laughs> I I'll give you thought. a spoiler alert. It doesn't matter what car you get; you're still going to wrench on it. Yeah, but not um, not to the same level, Eli. Like you. You got so you know, much seat time out of that Kia Rio, and how many times did you replace the engine?
0: Uh, once, and that was because I tuned the car and, the, and did not exactly. like to it the engine. So that's when I, I, life punished me because I just wanted a 10 extra horsepower and said no, 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 no. And pop goes the weasel,
1: yeah. What track was that? So
0: that was Willow Springs, and uh, uh, it went Willow. out big, Willow, yep, big, Willow. And it went out in turn six. So if you go crawl, you know, there's two, turn two, you go up, then you go up the hill to the Budweiser sign. The
2: and uh, then you
0: start, yep. And then you start heading downhill and then you pivot and then I started reaching turn eight, which is, you know, the final hill, the engine just went out. Like I, I heard that pop and I'm like, I know where this is going. And I just slammed on the clutch and put it in neutral. And sure enough, I get ka 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 ka, And so, so again, I just literally go off-road, mm-hmm. like, catch air, drops, use a hazard style, and then, you know, just coast with the blown engine straight behind one of my friends who was driving, who was racing at the same time, and the fire, uh, the, you know, the crews, the fire crew shows up, he's like, what happened? I'm like, blew my engine. <laughs>
1: that was it. So, I mean, most people that do know, like, these tracks, they're probably going to go, well, uh, Kia Rio, like, what did you have done to it? And, your build was actually, like, most guys driving on, on the street um have very comparable builds to, like, what you were doing, if not way more build. Because, essentially, your engine was pretty much stock, aside from that tune that gave you the 10 extra horsepower. But for the most part... Yeah, for, like, for one race. Yeah, but for the most part, your car was pretty much a stock Kia Rio. With so, gutted interior cage, I think it was like Megan coilovers on there. Yep. And you were running, I think, um, when I met you, I think you were starting to run the Toyo Double R's, which were I think like two hundred five or two twenty five. I forget what size. No, it was. they're two oh five. You were running the two oh five. Or 1515. So uh, yeah. So for people thinking, oh okay, so like what 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 does that mean? Eli was running sub one forty laps out at big willow no it was
0: 140 it was exactly 140 really i now, thought you went under 140 yeah, so i i was at a point where i can do uh sub 140 uh mm-hmm. but there was only so the fastest lap that car is done at big willow is 140 okay uh which was which, under was, the impression it was, which under. was very good that's uh, extremely good
1: and mind you this eg did a 148 and i'm like i could probably like finesse a little bit more and get like a tailwind and get down to like a one forty five, maybe, but uh, it's hard. Um,
0: it gets tricky after a while. The beauty behind it, uh, behind, you know, struggling on that kind is that you become consistent. Yeah. And I think, uh, and you're, you'll be pushed to do, learn a few more tricks and nuances as you're trying to push farther and farther into that stuff. Yeah. um, You'll do stuff that most people think you're crazy for, like
1: going into uh, turn like, two flat out. No,
0: going into turn one almost flat out.
1: That that you look. I've talked to some Honda Challenge guys, and they're like, "No, there's a braking event that happens in turn one. That that does happen. So, and so, Eli, Eli's a, a madman out there, and he's trying to go flat out through turn one. So anybody who I gonna, know the car can do
0: it. <laughs> I know Jesus there's Christ. The thing is, is there's once you've gotten to know the car, and you will, and anyone who's like done so many track events with their car, you get to know your car as is. As is uh, it's kind of like, you know, it's a little trivial. Because uh, on my Facebook page, I always have like one quote. And I was never into quotes, but I, there was this one quote that I found from Ari Votnin, who was a professional Group B driver for the Peugeot T616, um, which was a Group B car, four-wheel drive, uh, mid-engine Uh, that thing was a beast and he unfortunately went to an accident that basically broke it, broke his spine and he could still walk, but he could never drive again, which freaking sucks. And, um, but he, he basically said driving was the very extension of your personality. Right. Mm. Um, so over time, you get to know that car so well that it's basically an extension of you.
1: Mm. At um, least and you with what, the Kia Rio, that's how it was. Because how many track days did you have with the Kia Rio?
0: Oh, yeah, I'm easily... So the, the Rio has, I think it has like about 50,000 miles. I think 50 or 60,000 miles. And out of those 50,000 miles, I think it's about 40,000 miles worth of track.
1: That's insane. 40,000 miles... Uh, and that's including track. going to and coming back. Yeah, um, but that's still like because you weren't daily driving that car for the most oh, part. Oh, I still
0: was. I was. <laughs> so I mean, including no, but the once daily it was like part, caged
1: and whatnot.
0: Oh, I still drove it. <laughs> Jesus. Um Christ. now okay. The giant so, zam-
1: zombie rat down here in SoCal yeah. or an
0: orange cage and full liver- livery liver- everything. Rate. Um in in all its glory. Uh, the only thing it did not have was uh, that cutout exhaust. It was basically the factory exhaust. Yeah. Now, I want to mention this to every one of the readers because it sounds hypocritical, uh, but there's a specific reason I say it. Do not drive a car with a cage. It is stupidly dangerous. It's not as safe as you think. Um, if you have a half cage, that's perfectly awesome. That's exactly how you should do it. If you mm-hmm. have a full cage, it is the biggest no-no of your life.
1: Unless you're um, driving with I, a helmet and your yeah. neck uh, restraint on, and for your yeah, gaming. and the neck
0: restraint and all this other stuff. Yeah. And the reason I say this is most people's vehicles. It, it has to do with the proximity uh, between you know the, the A pillar bar mm. and your head. Yeah. Okay. So for the most part, you're about four <laughs> four inches away from from your head to that bar. And you may think that's enough room, uh, but in the event of an accident and a rollover, your body will move close to 12 inches.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, if you get hit, hit from the side, yeah. you you move yeah, so Your body much.
0: will move, um, yeah. and you will hit that bar, and uh, you will more than likely die. Um, yeah, because you're essentially so,
1: getting hit in the head with like a lead pipe almost, like a bat. Yeah, pretty much. And you're getting hit
0: with two Gs of force or whatever the amount of hit that you just got faced with yeah. a car that you were not prepared for. So, exactly. So do not drive with a cage car. And I will mention that right now and then because I'm a full proponent of safety. Like, I care about safety more than anything in the world. And
1: um, one, of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I always take your consideration to heart is uh, your background in safety, working for STAND21 uh, while you were here in SoCal. So yeah, your so... knowledge based on that is just really high end. And for those that don't know, so there's a lot of uh, driver suits that are made by different companies and in the upper echelon in terms of price and quality and breathability um, is STAND21. There's like, uh, are, are they the official one for the Porsche drivers?
0: So they're the official motorsport supplier, of Porsche Motorsport, and Corvette Racing.
1: Mm-hmm. So that so tells like a lot. That
0: yeah. So they are. So Stan Twenty One. I don't work for them anymore. Yeah. But I'll still say with with a high amount of confidence, as far as like suits, they are the best of the best. Like yeah. you are. It's kind of like uh, what was it? Like Men in Black, the first uh, the first one with uh, Will Smith.
2: Yeah. Is like
0: when that um I think Murray is like the best of the best of the best, sir. Mm-hmm. That's, that's basically what it is. It's like, there was the top, they are the top, the best by far in terms of breathability, quality, um, service, uh, their customer service, everything's custom built helpful. So, uh, like if you have the money, that is the best suit you can buy. Yeah. Uh, like hands down.
1: Yeah. But that's so, where your authority in terms of, uh, knowing what will work well in terms of like safety gear and what their, um, for the driver, yes. yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, for the car, it's a, that I got through building roll cages uh, yeah. with, him, uh, with,
1: with Jim Pierce
0: Motorsports. So, so there this... two. there's a split avenue when it yeah. comes to that, and it's good to mention that the chassis brace, cages, all that stuff, I learned through you know building roll cages, understanding mm-hmm. a car dynamics during track, mm-hmm. like all that good stuff, and then. From head to toe, as far as the driver themselves, performance, breathing, um, you know, heat management, control, stress, all that stuff, I learned through Stan 21, like safety wise, So, uh, since harnesses, this... how it works, HANG device, yeah. that stuff. And that's what I learned through them.
1: So, since this is a podcast mainly geared for beginners, like let's say budget oriented people, because that's, I mean, no matter what, uh how baller you are you have a budget but most of the listeners especially ff cars um are going to be more budget oriented what are some things that you would recommend like a first time hpde driver look into like if they have a budget what percentage of the budget should they be put allocating to uh safety equipment I.e., like obviously everybody has to get a helmet but how much money would you put like if you had the budget to buy driving shoes, driving gloves, and a helmet? Or would you recommend somebody go out there and get, um, just spend all the money on the helmet and get, like, uh, a good, a quote-unquote good helmet? Like, what, what are uh, what are your recommendations in that sense?
0: Uh, great question, actually. So based on my experience, uh, from what I've seen, everyone I've met you, you know, Stretch John, everyone. If you're going to the track right now, your biggest expense is honestly the track itself. Uh, most people are not used to spending three hundred, three hundred fifty dollars mm-hmm. for a weekend. It's 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 a big hit, and I completely understand. Yeah. Um, what I can tell you, based on my experience, is that three hundred fifty dollars is well worth it because it makes you a better driver overall, not yeah. just in terms of. uh not in terms of just like performance driving, but car control, confidence, mm-hmm. uh, how to react. Um, it puts you under situations that are normally stressful, and you know would get your heart racing. Uh, and if that situation ever happens, that. yeah, it, it, builds it, it builds your it, it builds your tolerance for that. But more importantly, it also builds your muscle your muscle memory. Yeah, and you know, in situations where something bad may happen, your ability to control a vehicle and handle it and know what it will do is superfluous and it helps you overall have a less severe outcome if something were to go bad you know you hit a slick piece of ice someone spins out in front of you you know how to act versus just slam the brakes close your eyes or do it like the 90s you know crash uh, films where you just throw your hands in around to like this face that you're gonna
1: <laughs> hit something or something like that so, so yeah but like uh, uh, in terms of safety I know, gear so,
0: so the, I mentioned that tangent like to get an idea. So safety gear wise, get a decent helmet. Um, there's Bell, uh, Bell makes decent helmets. Uh, more and more companies are making really nice helmets. Uh, what you guys need to understand is if you cannot drop that helmet, you cannot um, you know, mess with the helmet uh, and think it's okay. Um, you need to make sure it's perfectly safe because in between that helmet, um, there's a liner. Mm -hmm. and that liner is made of styrofoam basically Mm -hmm. um and that styrofoam if you've ever gone is the equivalent of basically you going to 7-eleven buying your economy chiller where you could throw ice and you know your your drinks into it alcoholic or non-alcoholic doesn't matter (laughs) um and then basically you realize if you put your finger into it you realize it leaves a dent right like Mm -hmm. if you played with any styrofoam you basically leave. And it that's
1: dead. essentially leaves a weak point that if you ever get into an accident, that's going to leave the cavity. Yes, exactly. Yep. A, a failure point that if you were to hit that yep. same spot over again, then that it'll be... it
0: it will crack basically. And so uh,
1: and uh, there's a big difference between because I know HPDE. Um, I know some of the listeners may not go with NASA and other organizations, and I, I I, might have to correct myself, but I think for HPDE, um, NASA allows motorcycle helmets. So why should you get a SA-rated helmet instead of an M-rated helmet?
0: Great. Uh, so I'm happy you asked that because I can actually answer that for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the, the way SA and SM helmets have to do with is the removal process. So the removal process has to do with how the helmet is taken off. The helmet is taken off on a motorcycle is a lot tighter than it is on an automotive, and you would think that's better. It's not better if you have have a neck injury in the event of an accident where messing with your neck can actually, you know, sever your spine and Mm. paralyze you for life at best, you know. Mm. Um, so the removal process is actually different than between an SA and an SM. So they're they're designed as far as uh, helmet extraction. Because most people don't think about that.
1: No, I, so I didn't even know that.
0: Yeah, it, you have to understand where a paramedic uh, doctor is coming from. They have to take that helmet out of you. And if you don't do it right, you can actually cause even more damage than mm. you would if you would have just left the helmet alone.
1: So right? the SA rated helmets are not as tight because you can remove them and that's supposedly helping. um,
0: So I won't say, uh, uh, not as tight is more of a a looser term. I would say it's not, they're engineered basically differently as far as helmet Mm -hmm. extraction. I just use the, like a looser fitting to, to explain that, you know, it's easier, uh, but it's easier for them to remove it under an SA helmet than it is under an SM.
2: Okay. Like the removal
0: rate, the removal method is different.
2: Okay.
0: um, So that's part of the reason of it. Uh, The other part has to do with uh, the materials and everything else how it's engineered aerodynamically, distance between like strength, strength and points, engineering points that have to do with as far as like the impact. Mm -hmm. Because the impact of an automotive helmet is going to be different than the impact of a motorcycle helmet. Yeah. So some of the materials are also different, and and then there's that the material itself. So the liners on the inside of an automotive helmet are more likely going to be Nomex. Yes. S A rated. So the SA, they're going to be Nomex which is fire resistant. And I don't care who you've talked to and who tells you what. Uh no suit, racing suit, socks, gloves, whatever is fireproof. Nothing is fireproof. It's only fire it's resistant. Fire resistant.
1: It, yes. it, imagine like your cell phone back in the day when it says it's water resistant, doesn't mean that you can call somebody underwater. It means that Unless if you splash yeah. it, it should still work, and you should put it into a bag of rice, and it'll be fine. But, Unless yeah. it's
0: a Nokia phone, then you're perfect. Oh, yeah, freaking Nokia's
1: are there. So I think, going back to my first question of, uh, you know, budget-wise. Budget-wise, budget, wise, uh, a budget, budget wise. yeah. So I'm explaining, should you, you know. Should you spend the money on getting gloves and shoes and a helmet, or would you be better served buying, putting all that budget into a helmet?
0: Okay. Great question. So uh, we need to go through a little bit more details uh, on that kind of stuff, which will yeah. honestly require a full episode to be honest with you <laughs> because know. of the amount of information. But so you can spend as much as you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So if um, if you want to spend, you know, $1,000 or $2,000,
2: mm-hmm.
0: $3,000 on a full set of gear, do it. Like, if you're able to, like, I'm not going to hold you back. Do it. Like, yeah. please do it. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't hurt you at all. Mm-hmm. Because I've seen, I've seen street cars that are pumping up 400 horsepower, and lose a, that and break a line or something and catch on a fire. Good
1: point because the cars nowadays versus like the 90s vehicles that we've uh, kind of grown up with. Yeah. It's like the the difference is so huge. And well, huge, huge. Huge. Um so huge. obviously if you're going to recommend like hey, what's the best gear that I'm going to get, you're going to say stand 21. But the budget is, you know, as, as most people, what
0: most people won't be able to pay $3,000. Yeah, exactly. One so so what, I, I get what in you're your
1: opinion is like a good uh, budget oriented helmet. Like obviously right now is great because the new SA 2020 uh, standard has just been released. So the SA2020 helmets is really where you should be going in. Um oh right. here I, I, I have a good question. Let's say and this is kind of like more on on my side of something that I'm uh considering. If is it worth me like buying a 2012 2015 uh Arai helmet versus a 2020 SA rated um like Simpson helmet which I would in my opinion consider not as high quality as an Arai helmet. What what would okay. your point be? Point of view. That is
0: an awesome question. So, uh, point of view. Okay. So you mentioned the most affordable helmet. If you can't afford a Stan Twenty One helmet, and this I heard heard it from the owner himself of Stan Twenty One. So
1: that's that's a good. So this is
0: legit, and the owner of Stan Twenty One. That dude is you know total French guy, like one hundred percent French guy with the accent and everything else. Speaks like you know good English, fair English. Uh, but that dude is 100% zero BS. Like that dude is up in your face, and if it's one thing he cares about, it's safety. And the way and the reason is how he started his company, because uh, his friend caught on fire, and he didn't have anything like to do to cover oh, it, wow. and he didn't see anything out there, which is what prompted him to make Stan Twenty One. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's like a zero BS kind of guy. He, he helped develop gloves with Art and Senna. Like the outside scene gloves are him working with Art and Senna. Everyone copied it. The floating sleeves that you see on the suits, Puma, anyone else, Alpine Stars, everyone else, that floating sleeves. He actually developed the floating sleeves with Alan Prost. He was the first one to do it. So a lot of the developments that you see all across the world with different brands are all basically spin-offs, knockoffs, and copies of Stan 21 for the most part. So
1: this is like l- as legit as you can get. so so, what is his opinion
0: so his opinion is if you can't get a stand 21 get an awry oh there you go and he said it because he's like he's seen the engineering behind it he's seen the factory behind it and he's like he's impressed he's like you know what if I if you didn't have money for a stand 21 get an awry
1: wow so Uh, in your opinion uh, an awry 2015 would still be a better product overall Comp- so, like if and you were that, gonna spend $600 and you had like an Araya GP5 or whatever uh, 2015, you would recommend the Araya 2015 over like a Simpson Bandit or whatever that was cheaper so, but as a 2020 uh, standard.
0: So, going back to that part, so okay. here's the difference the standards between 20, uh, 2010, 2015, and 2020 each standard is different, actually. Yeah, there's additional re engineering, everything else. Snell actually, uh, when I was with san 21 they were showing what their changes were for the 2020 platform, Ooh. which basically had to do with instead of because they've done like Snell does such an amazing job for a small company. Mm-hmm. They do so much work like that. You have to understand Snell's not some massive organization like FIA, you know, mm-hmm. they're the equivalent of like all, you know, all the friends that we know, you know together to build a, a safer helmet that, that's basically their size, honestly speaking,
1: That's why
0: um, there's very small, uh, but they have such a, ma- such a massive amount of like passion towards safety and promoting that, that they're continually re-engineering and building better safety standards based on the data they're getting from people that get in accidents, uh, testing, um, improvements from all these other manufacturers and feedback, um, of drivers and people they're they're showing stuff. So what that, you're hey, saying look, is
1: from 2015 to 2020 we're talking about a huge jump of like safety engineering uh, in general
0: stuff. from 2010 to 2015 from 2015 to 2020 there's all the improvements are very massive. So it's um, not
1: it's not like one of those that, that it's like oh it's a new edition and it's just because the glue is going to be newer or whatever than in 2015. No yeah, there's actual so, physical changes that happen there's in that. physical changes
0: on it or wow. new standards that are invoked and tested to make sure that, um, That's that amazing. it meets that standard. Uh, and just, and, and so, and just so you know, there's two standards right now, there's Snell and there's FIA.
1: Well, FIA is the global standard, right?
0: FIA is the global standard and it is a lot stricter than yeah. now. So to give you an idea Snell's like, all right, you do this and, and, uh, there's SFI, but that's another subject. Yeah, that we'll yeah, yeah. Another time. We're, we're um, but as far project. as like helmets, there's now, and they can only do so much, right? Yeah. For you to have the FIA standard, you, they have to know where you got the material from. Have basically everything. It come out kind of like a NASA level spaceship. Everything has to be traced down to the source. Okay, like even so from like where batch-y. it came from, the mining area, kind of. there's batching
1: information so if there's like a fault there there's a traceability they know like oh this bolt broke and the reason is was a bad batch from this specific manufacturer
0: so everything has to do with the material where it's got what materials used where it came from and all this other stuff to a certain degree it's like the the fia standard is way higher than the uh the regular snell standard which is why you see fia helmets which are 8860, which is a Formula One grade helmet, uh, way more expensive than yeah. a traditional Snell helmet. Um, now, now, mentioning that aside, FIA made a more economy version standard, and I think it's 8859, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time. So if um, you were to 88... get that
1: standard, like let's say I was out in uh, abroad or whatever and I found a helmet and it just fit – beautifully and i was like let's say in europe or japan or whatever mm-hmm. and if it was that fia standard could i then coming back to the u.s say hey i this one does not have the sa 2020 because obviously that's a america or north america only requirement but it has the fia one that one would supersede the S, sa 2020 is Am I wrong on that uh, assumption, or is that correct? That is a
0: great assumption, and it'll depend on the organization, unfortunately. Ah. So, for example, because um, you're absolutely correct, the FIA standard supersedes no. Mm-hmm. But because of the standards are so strict here, it's kind of hard. Like, it depends on the sanctioning body and mm-hmm. who agrees with it or not because of the whole so liability. So talk to your organizer
1: it is what, is yep. what we're going to go with on that one.
0: Yeah, so talk to your organizer when it comes to that kind of stuff. Now here's a now here's a twist for you though, because uh, not many people know. As far as like for example the and this comes to racing suits. Uh, there's SFI forty suit, you know that right? Or SFI twenty, sorry, SFI twenty suit, right? You know how your suit is SFI five. You yeah. know what that stands for, right? Uh, it's supposed to is be
1: like you have five seconds before it like starts to degrade to the. Tennis. plane. Or I I. I so SFI I, five. It,
0: it, you just kind of double it, but you're more or less correct before you yeah. get a second-degree burn. Yeah. So, SFI-5. So, there's SFI-20 suits, and those are mostly meant for a drag, you know, um, mm-hmm. top fuel. Yeah. But they're also meant for land speed, believe it or not. For land yeah, it cars. makes sense
1: because they're, they're just pumping out so much, like, kind of uh, crazy cocktails for that. But, hate to interrupt you, so, Eli, but... but- we're we're almost at a podcast right now at 55 minutes so
0: i told you this thing was gonna take forever (laughs) it's because you get get into the safety
1: parts and i'm like damn like uh, i want you there's there's so much good information and look guys um eli is such a passionate person about safety and i have these type of conversations with him all the time because like i care about it and you know not only do I care about it for me, but my fiance also drives. So I want to make sure that she's safe. And usually before I make a purchase, these are the type of questions that I ask to Eli. So in summary, if you are budget-oriented, save as much money as you can and buy an Arai helmet. Um uh, quality. Yeah, get
0: a, an Arai, Get a helmet you, you, you're comfortable with and can afford and maintain. That, that's another big thing is also how 21. it fits,
1: how it fits uh, as well.
0: So Fitman's a whole different other subject, but fitment is everything as yeah. well. Um, yeah. So if you're going to get a helmet, also, try it on.
1: Yeah. Well. Try it on. So
0: try, yeah. Do not buy anything online. Just go to the store, try it on, find out if there are adjustable cheek pads and everything else. Now more and more companies are trying to do that. Stand 21 was the one that was doing it for the longest. Uh-huh. Uh, now more and more companies are offering that option.
2: Yeah,
0: A comfortable fitting helmet is the best part of all because of the pressure points that go around your head. Yeah, um, If you're going to spend the money for the first time, just get a helmet. If you want to get uh, suits and everything else, go for it. Stem21 in North America has a used uh, like uh, suit section, which are suits that were either prototypes, which are freaking great, um, yeah, been, did not fit the customer and were Perfect. returned, yeah. but may fit you. Um, older generation, uh, prototypes, uh, which are just to say they're better than the, than most so, of the cheap suits that you can buy now and super breathable.
1: So one of our uh, friends actually bought one, I think it was stretch and he, um, purchased it for, I think for a purchase price of $700 and for the budget yeah. oriented, I think it was 700. I might be misquoted. Yeah. He got a, he got a, uh,
0: ST 215. I don't remember the suit he got yeah so uh, it you was a used prototype
1: version of my orange suit yeah so it was Previous a used generation. one if i remember correctly
0: yeah you know how much that suits is worth new like soft without any any measuring or anything like that more than my eg it's uh it's about i think it was like around 1800 to 2200 bucks
1: so probably more worse uh what the kelly blue book is for the eg but yeah so, so it's yeah You can find those uh, at Stand 21 and, like, request to – I don't know how the COVID things are going, but you can find – I think they have a SoCal location, Eli? Yep. Yep. They're up in Huntington Beach. So you can – if you're going to buy a suit, try and see if you can snag a a Stand 21 one because they're more more breathable than uh, your average. Test out their suit. Test out their helmet
0: you don't even have to buy it i just guarantee you go in there and they'll throw they'll inform you they'll give you all the knowledge you want they'll ask you can ask all the questions you want and yeah. um, you can even get a suit like custom measured and find out how it works you don't have to buy anything from them if you don't have the money or if you don't want to just go but it's a good resource go tool for the knowledge yeah yeah it's li- literally the best resource place you can go to On a budget, and the beauty behind that is, then you can go to you know, there's like two other vendors. There's Winding Road Racing, uh, Subaru Sports, Uh that are local to that area, and you can just stop by and check out their stuff and try out their helmets. I know Winding Road has a rye, so
1: does Subaru
0: Sports has some really nice suits. Yeah. So I mean, I can, I can. That's why I said, I was like, this pod. I mean, if you wanted to spend a full podcast on just talking nothing about safety, I'm sure we'll literally get two hours into
1: it. But it is the race FF podcast, and we wanted to talk about FF cars. And really, I think the Kia we didn't Rio. We can talk about that, though. <laughs> we, we we did. You we talked about how how many miles that uh, uh, Kia Rio uh, got on road racing, and I think that was one of the biggest uh, points of like how you got to be so good and compete and do an enduro a nasa enduro all by yourself i was a uh, part of the team that was refueling and giving you ice um, yeah i wouldn't event. have done it without
0: you guys yeah honestly speaking. So, I, I don't like, think i could
1: have pulled that off eli is still I, I look at him as my senpai and he always notices me so um <laughs> <laughs> so um ff cars like obviously Honda's are number one in terms of like what more people think of as like road racing FF cars, but Kia Rios are a solid platform. Ninety one octane. Uh, John had one. He did really well in it. I still think he could have uh, gone further along in his uh, NASA. He would have. He would. I think just NASA conditions dream.
0: with. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you know, with that, I think we can call this an. But episode. he's still in it. Huh? He's still in it. <laughs>
0: Uh, John's still racing. And I think that's all that matters, honestly. At the end oh of the
1: day. yeah, and um, he and he's got a beautiful M three. That thing is is really nice, and I'm I'm really impressed with uh, how he's done. Um, especially when he had that whole issue about uh, getting a trailer and whatnot. It's such a nightmare. So you know, yeah, I'm really proud of him uh, doing that. So I am going to be looking forward to seeing him. Uh, same here i gotta i, I gotta know. lecture
0: him because he's throwing too many mods into that car
1: i i don't think As, he's doing that much in terms of mods he, I, he's doing i legitimately prompt... know he is <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's uh, already gotten way too many mods than i would have on my car so yeah I know for a fact he's already but, going overkill
1: true but at the same time you know that is what he wanted to do with the car he wanted to build a. and i get that but
0: here's you know here's here's a tip that i want to mention to everyone else like if you if you learn nothing if you just wanted to listen to the end of this podcast and find out what it all was about is this do not throw mods into your car other than just like pads and oil you know just drive the car do not throw because the more mods you throw into your car the more you fall you fall into this like self-fulfilling uh, loop of that. Mm. You have to throw more parts into to make your car faster. And that actually makes your car both undrivable and unsafe for you at your current level. Yeah. And it makes and, it harder for you to level up.
1: And like you were saying earlier, um, like the biggest thing that you should invest in with road racing is road racing events themselves. And if it's, yeah. you know, you have the choice of getting coilovers or going with stock suspension Um, Or just go lowering
0: springs if you wanted to find a medium,
1: Or or just buying shocks or whatever Um, But yeah, yeah, with that, I think we have an episode Eli, thank you for coming on I was really struggling to figure out how it's going to stretch To get an episode in here And now I don't have to stretch out I'm I'm trying to uh... Oh, there (laughs) I hit the wrong button That was awesome I hit the wrong button I'm keeping it in But yeah so with that, I think we'll end this episode, and the next episode will be over at Auto Club Speedway, right? That's uh, that's the plan. You're gonna be there, right? Yeah, pretty much.
0: I think that's I already got the plane ticket. I awesome. got the rental car ready. If it wasn't from uh Turo, I if it was from Enterprise, it probably would have enrolled in the track day. But that's oh, <laughs> another <sure>. story.
1: <laughs> yeah and with that thank you for listening to the race thank you buddy and we'll Eli, you. thank you thank you thank
0: you no problem thank you buddy there. will do i'll see you next
2: weekend at hotel six <laughs>